Happy Easter. Good morning, everyone. If you uh, haven't already done so, please uh, get out your Bibles and uh, the copy of uh, Heidelberg Catechism, uh, question and answer number one. Um, as a reminder, we'll have a, another prayer meeting today at 4.30. Uh, you'll see an email later uh, with the link to take uh, part in that meeting. I hope you uh, can join us. It's been a great time uh, so far. Uh, we're going to take a break uh, this week from discussing uh, the series, uh, Who is the Holy Spirit? And we'll pick that up uh, next week. Um, uh, as we uh, begin, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Please pray with me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. Uh, indeed, every Lord's Day is a reminder, a weekly reminder of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and his promised return. But on this day, uh, Easter day, Father, we do pray that we would grow in our understanding and appreciation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that the grave could not hold Jesus. And for those who are united to Christ by faith, the grave will not hold us either. Turn our hearts to you, Father, through your word and by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this time last year, uh, Easter um, 2019, we were still in our early days of our series from Acts, looking back at our history and moving forward in our mission. And last Easter, we just stayed right with our series, uh, responding to an Easter sermon from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42. Well, today, uh, we're at week number four in our new series, Our Only Comfort. And uh, today is going to be Set Free. Our series, again, is entitled Our Only Comfort, and it is orienting us and anchoring us to God's Word. The question should be familiar by now, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Uh, that is, what is your only security? What is your, what is your confidence in life and in death? Now, this is the most important question that's being asked and answered these days in one way or another. And in organizing and summarizing the teaching of God's Word, the Heidelberg Catechism provides a clear answer to that question that is both concise and comprehensive. Let's listen to the answer once again. The answer to the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the work of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Peter writes to the church these words, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, for the reason for the comfort that is in you, for the reason, for the security that is in you. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, will help us be prepared to answer anyone 
including, and I think in some ways most importantly, ourselves as we cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. My friends, as you've heard, we've got to talk to ourselves. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. And Heidelberg Catechism, this first question really helps us do that. This catechism, this teaching in a series of questions and answers was written in 1563 at a time of great difficulty, war, and sickness. 129 questions and answers divided into 52 Lord's Day sections so that week after week, God's people would be taught and instructed the truth of God's word. And as we've been seeing, questions one and two sets everything up, the guilt, the grace, and the gratitude, our sin, our salvation, and our service in response. We've been saying that it's absolutely important to take this confession, this catechism, the answer, both personally and corporately. The question, as you know, is asked in the second person. The answer is given in the first person. The Heidelberg Catechism speaks to us. It speaks to you. And remember, it's a confession of faith for the church. And that's why my only comfort becomes our only comfort. Faith is both individual, I believe, as well as corporate, we believe. Worship, as you know, is both private and public. It's private, it's individual, it's family worship. And I hope that that is serving to draw our attention to the importance of corporate, public worship. And, and may God be pleased to use this time apart to increase our longing to be together. May God use this time to enable us to better understand, appreciate, prioritize, and protect the corporate nature of the church's life and ministry. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, it, it's a short, concise, clear, comprehensive answer, but it can even be shorter. Here it is again in nine words. What is your only comfort? I belong to Jesus. But, but more needs to be said because this question, this answer gives us a few more words about Jesus. Jesus is described as my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, my faithful Savior. See, it's going to begin to explore aspects of the person and work of Jesus. He is faithful. He saves. We see already that that. There's a pardon from the penalty of sin. Today, we're, we're seeing the, the freedom from the power of sin, and eventually, there'll be that escape from the very presence of sin. Now, these two expressions, um, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Uh, they are distinct, but they're inseparable because they're two aspects of the work of one person, my faithful Savior. Last week, in our third message, it was paid in full. Paid in full. It's somewhat more objective. Uh, there was a mess we found ourselves in. There was the mess we made. And, and there was a comprehensive and complete payment that had to be made. And as we saw, Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished. It is 
paid in full. He has indeed fully paid for all our sins. Today, our fourth message is set free, and it's going to be a bit more subjective, as I think we will see. Well, for the next few minutes, we're going to explore this second aspect of the work of Jesus Christ as made known in this statement. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And to do this, we're going to focus our attention on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, and unpack and explore it under two headings, the tyranny of the devil and the freedom of the Savior. Join with me now as I read Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So first, let's look at the tyranny of the devil, or the tyranny, the oppression that Satan wields, that Satan exercises. Well, let's first think about the beginning of this tyranny. The beginning, of course, is in the fall of man into sin that we read in Genesis 3. Just a few chapters later, this is how God's word summarizes the situation. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was a tyranny of evil. It was a tyranny of oppression. That's the beginning of tyranny. Now let's take just a quick look at, at one episode of the exposure of this tyranny. And it's from our New Testament reading in John chapter 8. It's Jesus' teaching where in conversation with some of the Jews, Jesus says that everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Well, as you know, that didn't uh, sit right. Um, there was some further discussion, and, and Jesus went on to talk about uh, them not being children of Abraham, but rather children of their father, the devil, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, the one who was oppressing and terrorizing and establishing a tyranny from early on. Now, how does the devil exercise tyranny? How does he oppress? Well, if you just go back to Genesis chapter 3, there's temptation that leads to sin, and sin brings with it guilt. And as Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, of course, the wages of sin is death. And, and, and guilt rightly deserves death. You see, the devil charges you with a fault. He, he proclaims your guilt. He declares your sentence and that you need to be punished. You see, he is the accuser who keeps our sin and our guilt before us. He, he keeps before us the fear of death, the, the fear in particular of judgment. 
You see, beginning there all the way back in, in the fall of man into sin, uh, man lives in the shadow of death. And he lives under the, the promise, the threat of judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, we read, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The next chapter speaks of a fearful expectation of judgment. Our catechism, this question, this answer, speaks of the devil keeping people in slavery because of fear of death. And Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 speaks of that power of the devil. But it also speaks of another power, a power that is far greater, the power of Jesus Christ to bring freedom, to bring freedom by both destruction and deliverance. So let's look now at the freedom of the Savior or the, the freedom that Jesus gives or provides. Well, what, what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? In Luke 4, we read that when Jesus unrolled the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, he said that he had come to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. John writes in his first letter that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we see in this passage in Hebrews 2 that the work of Jesus consists of destroying his enemy and delivering his people through his death. You see, on the cross, as we saw last week, Jesus paid for our sins, our sins that deserved death as punishment. He paid for it in our place on our behalf. And in doing so, he destroyed the work of the enemy. And by doing that, he also delivered his people, not only from their objective guilt, but I think as we'll see now, the, the more subjective feeling of guilt. I want to think now about Jesus as our advocate. You see, the enemy, Satan, the devil, is our accuser, but Jesus is our advocate. I think it's helpful to think about the work of Jesus in terms of him being our prophet, our priest, and our king. We read in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that Jesus executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. He executes the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. And Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Well, I want us to focus on the fact that Jesus as priest continues to make intercession for us. And as king, he has defeated all his and our enemies. 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we read, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, why would Jesus need to make intercession for us? Is because we are continually being accused. Job, in the book of Job, you saw Job being accused. God, uh, God being accused by Satan. In Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah chapter 3, we read of Joshua the high priest with the accuser, Satan, at his right hand. But there's good news because we read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. So our advocate stands up for us, prays for us, defends us in the accusations that are made against us. You see, we don't belong to our accuser. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to our advocate. And John will write in his first letter, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. That is, he exhausted the wrath of God for our sins. Now let's think for a moment about slavery and freedom. You know, our postcard for Grace and Peace says, to be human is to worship. Who or what are you worshiping? You see, sin is worshiping anything or anyone but Jesus. And the wages of sin is not only death, but it's slavery. It's not just death, but it's, a, it's slavery. And yet Jesus promises and, and delivers freedom because as a fish is only free in water, we are only free when worshiping Jesus supremely. The yoke of Jesus is the only one that does not enslave. In our series in Galatians, in chapter 5, we remember that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that he has set us free. Our freedom is purchased by Christ through his death and resurrection. It's, it's applied to us by faith. You see, today we rest in and we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his victory over sin and death. Now, I've got to speak for a moment about the relationship between the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the relationship between the cross and the empty tomb, Remember in, our, in Acts, every time the gospel was preached, it was the gospel of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. John Stott writes in his, in his work, The Cross of Christ, So the victory of Christ was decisively won at the cross. The resurrection was the conquest confirmed and announced. The cross was the victory won and the resurrection was the victory endorsed proclaimed, and demonstrated. 
See, I think what, what is happening, and most important, is the resurrection brings the assurance of being set free. The resurrection brings the, the, deliv- uh, the assurance of being free, our deliverance from the penalty of sin, the penalty of death. Now in our um, something to think about quotes, um, which I'll highlight here, that the resurrection is the divine endorsement of Jesus' work, a declaration of the power and the value of his death, the amen of the Father upon the it is finished of the Son. Jesus says it is finished at the cross and the resurrection, the empty tomb is, is the endorsement, the affirmation, the, the yes, it is finished from the Father. And in our other quote, it was as if the judge were saying, you have paid the penalty the law demanded. You are now free to go. Clearly, it was also the sign, that is the resurrection, that he had broken the power of death because it was not possible for him to be held in its grip. Who are you? In view of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who are you? Well, our answer, of course, is this. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil, the ongoing accusations. You know, I believe it was Martin Luther who said, when you go and ask God to forgive you, and based on the trustworthiness of his word and his promises, when you walk away, when you get up off your knees after asking for forgiveness, and if you don't believe it, then Luther says, well, now you've got two sins to confess. Who are you? Who are you? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, says this, I am not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon, I shall put off mortality, and with mortality, all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say, I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. My friends, based on this confession of faith, By grace, I belong to Jesus and am free from the tyranny of the devil. Are you struggling right now? Do you you feel free? Earlier, we sang as a hymn of confession before the throne of God. Listen to verse 2 again from before the throne of God. 
when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. And in the hymn we're about to sing in Christ alone, verse 3 is about the resurrection. The hymn changes. And because of that, verse 4 can say, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. My friends, it's not the power that you have in and of yourselves. No, it is a power that has come to you from the outside. It is the power of Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit. Through death, Jesus did destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And through his death, he has delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. My friends, the resurrection is good news. It means that those who are united to Christ by faith, his death is our death and his resurrection is our resurrection. Just as death no longer had a hold on Jesus, for those who have received Jesus, who are trusting in him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel, death no longer has a hold on us. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from the penalty of sin and free from the power of the accuser who wants to keep you in bondage. My friends, look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb. Look to Jesus. If he sets you free, you are free indeed. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus in our place and on our behalf. Father, we thank you that we have an advocate who defends us from the accusations of your and our enemies. We thank you, Father, that our advocate continues to make intercession for us. Oh, Father, in looking to Jesus today, help us to remember his work on the cross. Help us to remember his resurrection from the dead. Father, help us to remember that in Christ and in Christ alone, we have been set free from the tyranny of the devil. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.